Hello, and welcome to the Kosh. I'm your host, Timber Smith, and the Kosh is a podcast that spotlights people who've had an association with Oshkosh or the surrounding Fox Cities area. Kosh listeners, how are we doing? How are we doing this morning? You already know. So I'm going to give you the report on the day because that's what we always do. And today we have that four letter word going on called snow. It's wrong. You know, I've lived in Wisconsin my entire life, and yet there's never going to be a part in that. I love Wisconsin. I do not love snow. Snow is not my friend. Um, But you know what? I like snow blowers. (laughs) And, And I'll explain that. Look, I'm all about if you know me, I'm a tech guy. So what that really means is I love a good piece of machinery or equipment or, or digital toy and a snowblower falls right into that, that premise of, of like something that is highly interesting. And, and it, and it, there's a bonding I think that happens with people who own them when you get out there and everybody's out there with your snowblowers and we're all just doing the things and we're looking and there's almost like, it's almost like you want to do virtual or uh, uh, air high five saying, yeah, I see you over there handling your business with the snowblower. That's right. I appreciate you. So um, that is my thoughts for today. But uh, may the snow not hang around too long. But I'm sure some of you out there are thinking, well, we need snow for Christmas. Why? Who made that rule? That's not a good rule. I'm not feeling that rule. I mean, maybe. So, all right. So once again, You know what I'm going to say. I don't know how I continue to get these amazing guests, but I get the best guests. I'm so, it just happens. It just happens. And uh, to the benefit of you and myself, this week, I'm super excited about this guest because I think this conversation is going to be fire. We're going to cover something that I think a lot of us, um, like we may kind of know, it exists or it happened, but maybe we really haven't had the conversation out loud with somebody who actually knows what they're talking about with it. So, um, so without further ado, let me introduce this week's guest, Chuck Self. Chuck, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Timber. I, I, outside of the snow, I hope <laughs> you're doing well. Uh, I, 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 I grew up in Minnesota. Uh, oh, and so uh, and uh, have lived in the north pretty much all my life, and the reason why the bonding happens with the snowblower is that in the summer people can mow their lawn whenever they want to. Right. So people are in and out whatever. When when it snows, you all need to get out there and do the snowblowing, and and that and that commits uh, that creates the snowblowing community that I, you're talking about. I never thought about that. That's actually so true, right? Because it's about you have to get out there at the same time. Yeah, yeah. In places where I lived, uh, uh, snowblowing has been one of the major reasons for me to get to know my neighbors. And, <laughs> and you know, I help them if I'm gone and if they're gone and people help me if I'm gone. And, and so, no, I think that's a, that, that's a, that is the benefit of snow. Yeah. And people in Florida don't have that uh, yeah. uh, until hurricanes come and then they have other reasons to get together but oh that's different hey look i don't i don't know about you but i don't want hurricane to be a reason that i got to get to know my neighbor that's that sounds like uh i just 
don't like hurricane. Hurricane oh, no, don't I sound agree. like a good thing. I agree. But I, I do like what you're saying. And so now I'm going to have to rethink my feelings towards snow because there is a bonding experience that happens with snow. So right. I will. You are correct. Right. Right. So the people, your, your audience in the South don't understand that. No. no. Maybe not. And I think they, look, if the South gets snow, they feel a totally different oh, way about it oh, than we yeah. feel. <laughs> like, we, we have acceptance, and we also have the tools ready to handle it. In the South, if it snows, it's a wrap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. All right. So we're going to jump in. Um, so, Chuck, can you please share a little something about yourself and what is your connection to the Kosh or the surrounding Fox Cities area? Well, as you just heard, uh, I was born and raised in in Minnesota. I have um, a little, little bit of a strange background because uh, my uh, college degree is in accounting, and my MBA, University of Chicago, is in statistics. So I, I have a strong numbers uh, background. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you think? And and because of that. Um, I think I'm systematic in my thinking and, and disciplined, but yet I've spent my life making sure that I live in the real world and uh, deal with the uh, real world. I had a 40-year career in investment management that I retired from last year, last June, and now, uh, even though I'm retired, quote-unquote, I have uh, a number of for-profit and, and not-for-profit boards that I serve on, and that's a lot of my work. Um, at this at this point, and and I'm very fortunate to have uh, those opportunities to to give back uh, to the community on the nonprofit side, and and also be able to still continue to earn a living on the for profit side. So My question say. is, you know, when you do what you've done, um, and it sounds like you you invested and managed money, mm -hmm. do you ever really retire? Because well. <laughs> <laughs> somehow I don't think I could shut that off. I would I would probably always keep my eye on the things, and if there was an opportunity, I would still be looking for them. And Well, and you're absolutely correct. Uh, you have to be uh, mindful in order to do it. Uh, for instance, um, I'm just now a year and a half later um, not renewing my subscription to the Wall Street Journal that, that I used to, you know, that I that I have for forty years, uh, uh, and I still get the paper uh, version because that's what I've done for forty years. And so in January it's going to run out, and I'm going to let it go and see if I can uh, do that. But I I don't watch CNBC like I used to, or Bloomberg, uh, or listen to Bloomberg Radio. Uh, so I'm I'm it's taking a while, but I'm getting to a point where I'm hopefully getting out of the investment business in my mind. But, uh, but on the other hand, on many of these boards I have, I'm on there for, um, for my investment expertise and experience. And so I can't completely get away from it, but, but now it's big picture. It's not what's happening in the market every day. Okay. Um, any siblings or anything? Yeah. Or? So I, I have one brother who's, um, the academic dean of the University of Minnesota Dental School. Oh. And so, um, and I'm fortunate that at my age, 65, I still have two parents um, living, 91 and 90. And so, yeah, yeah. So they, they live in the same house I lived in when I graduated from high school. Oh. Uh, so, so I'm very fortunate, and I'm hoping this indicates that I've still got many, many decades uh, to live. That's, that's 
that's the way I'm going to at least play it. Uh, that that that's the case. Um, so uh, I moved out of uh, the Twin Cities to go to University of Chicago, and then never went back to live. Just got back to visit, mainly in the Chicago uh, area. I lived uh, there for over 30 years, and uh, spent a little time in Indianapolis. But I've been in this area for eight years, and then I got here because of, of a job uh, at Sumnick and Associates in, in Appleton. And I was, the, I was uh, the chief investment officer, and I ran um, a business there called iSector. So uh, it, was, it was the culmination of my career. I, it fe- I felt like everything I had done to that point was to, to uh, do, this, do that job, and, and I uh, enjoyed it. But I had an opportunity to do this board work, and so... That was the catalyst for retiring. Okay, I was, I, I was going to ask, like, uh, how did you end up here in in the Fox Cities? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and even though I'm retired, um, at least for for now, I'm planning to stay. Uh, I have friends here, and I'm doing nonprofit uh, work here, and it's a, it's an easy place to live after living in Chicago uh, area. Even if you live in the suburbs, uh, you know, doctors are half hour, forty five minutes away, or uh, everything. Uh, especially uh, living uh, close to Appleton, uh, everything is there. I actually live in Harrison, uh, and so I'm actually a Calumet County uh, resident, but I walk two blocks and I'm in Winnebago County. So, <laughs> so I'm, right. I, I, I feel I'm kind of connected to uh, the, whole, the whole area. It's very funny how um, Calumet and Winnebago are out, out of Gammy. Like they sometimes I think there's like that, that, triangle point where you literally could stand and have a foot in all three of them somewhere yeah, and, and and that's true and that's not far away from where i live okay that's it that's what's up all right um we're gonna jump into the first segment the first segment is called what in the world is going on with this is your opportunity you start with the phrase what in the world is going on and then you tell us what's on your mind so chuck what do you got on your mind what in the world is going on with workers why aren't there workers Enough workers for anybody. Uh, I I was uh, going by uh, a church that has a school this morning, and they have a big sign out on their uh, fence that they need uh, uh, workers uh, for in the educational part of, of their school. So it's not just shopping uh, uh, that that needs workers. Everyone needs workers. I've done a little research into it. Um, right now, uh, there's five million more job openings than the typical time before the pandemic. And so uh, this, this, is, this is part of the problem. There's just so much demand for workers. Well, we ended up uh, uh, losing a million to deaths. Uh, right. uh, we, we lost uh, uh, probably the, the estimate, that, and it's just a, a recent study, show that there's um, probably a million people with long-term, long-term COVID that mm. uh, can't work a full time at least. Uh, maybe maybe they can do some things from their home, but um, uh, they're gone. And then there's two million p- people like me that were early retirees. I didn't. I wasn't expected to retire when I did. Uh, it wasn't because of COVID, but you know I had an opportunity, and um, a lot a, there are a lot of people that that took took that. But even when you put all that into consideration, there's still one to two million people that have just fallen off the face of the earth. And, and um, 
this this is a huge problem for economy. Uh, it, you know that you, you you know you know that because you see the signs and you see shorter hours at restaurants sometimes, and, or they close or, or they close on certain days, right? Certain days Mondays or, and Tuesdays. Like you really got to call ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they close their dining room and you can only do drive through or takeout and 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 so on. And you know, not all those people are are working for DoorDash or, or whatever. They're they're just. They're just gone, and um, this is a, a huge problem. Uh, and the good thing that could come from this is that uh, the, the some of this um, outstanding returns to capital that has happened over the past couple of d- decades could now be shifting to labor. And mm, and right. um, you know, the, people have to raise wages, um, even to, to retain the people they have, much less try to attract uh, new people. But um, whether people like it or not, the only way we're going to fill this gap is by having immigration. And, Facts. Uh, yeah. And, and um, you know, there's, there's a con- always a controversy about immigration, but um, this is such a big problem that uh, we have to um, you know, rethink our, our immigration uh, policies, um, figure out how to make it easier for people to be, to at least green, get green cards, much less become citizens, and this is an immigration nation, uh, you know, yeah. uh, whether voluntary or not, and and so um, you know this shouldn't be a hard thing to to figure out, but uh, so far it hasn't had um, a lot of. Uh, focus in Washington to uh, try to do this to to, to uh, bridge the gap. I think it's a backfire on the immig- what I'll call immigration attitudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never understood it in the first place because, uh, let's be honest, uh, immigrants come here and I, I'm tired of people trying to say they're utilizing benefits. They're, no, they're not. Mm-hmm. We may have to help them initially when they get here. But that's a very low cost investment for what they contribute right. to the economy and to our 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 cultural society. Period. There's a there's a richness. We need those workers. And also, let's be honest. Some of the work that they do, you Americans aren't going to do it. That's right. That's right. Not not for what they're getting paid for. Yeah. Oh. So and that's always been the case. Right. And, it's always and, been the case. You know, in my grandfather's uh, grandparents' generation, and it was black people that did those jobs that uh, other people wouldn't do, and then um, eventually it, it uh, became immigrants, especially those uh, uh, from Latin America, and and uh, and if you. If you live in Chicago, you get used to having uh, Polish immigrants uh, cleaning your offices. So it's 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 true that um, as as groups be, uh, get raised in their uh, place in society, that uh, it's it's good to have other groups um, filling in so that they can get here and their children and grandchildren can uh, have um, tremendous opportunities. What frustrates me about that whole conversation or the attitudes towards it is it it's ne- it was never about, like, to me, something that was truly uh, detrimental, mm-hmm. right? It was literally just, uh, it was a social construct uh, conflict created just for the sake of voting, to to put an us and a them and yeah. to to make people get galvanized or polarized around the subject so they'll vote a certain way but 
at no point was there really anything that there was no there there. Yeah. There wasn't something like, no, these people weren't, these immigrants don't harm us. They don't, they help make us better. They make us stronger. They make us a stronger workforce. They fill in the gap. They help keep some of our costs lower. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are having this, this, this challenge with inflation. Well, you know, we've been, I can't think like we've been multiple presidents at this time. Um, I would say three presidents in, right? Because I I don't remember the same immigration conversation happening during the Clinton years. Mm-hmm. But for Bush, for Obama, for Trump, mm-hmm. you know, there's whoever f- decided like this was going to be the thing that we're going to we're we're going to motivate people around and and make it a thing and it just doesn't economically it makes no sense for the US. It, it's not a good it's not a good attitude. I don't want to call it a policy yet. I mean, I know there's policies surrounding it, but it makes no sense. Right, right. And uh, the studies show that, you know, it, it not only hurts uh, it to not have the immigrants come in, not only hurts the immigrants, but it hurts the rest of us, too. Um, again, um, we don't get to live uh, the life we want to live because we don't have that labor uh, uh, there, um, we don't have the richness of the cultures, uh, and you know, living here in the Fox Valley, we have, um, of course, a lot of immigrants uh, from um, different countries, and you know, big Hmong culture, uh, and so it's 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 not that uh, you know we're it's the us and them situation; it's us with them. Correct. And and uh, until we realize that, uh, it it's. Uh, it, it, you know, we're going to have a problem. Uh, there's a book out there called The Sum of Us by Heather McGee who talks about that, that uh, of all these things we do to hurt uh, disadvantaged people hurts all of us. Uh, and, and so uh, this is another example of that. That makes too much sense. Okay. My what in the world is going on with, uh, what in the world is going on with holiday Christmas movies set in Wisconsin, not representing Wisconsin. <laughs> like, I know, and look, if if you know, and this is, you know, we, we have the Christmas movie conversation. I've brought up Christmas movies in past episodes. And here's the thing. Christmas movies during this time of year, the minute that they, that Hallmark opens them up, they're the background noise in our house. We, we keep them on all the time. They're happy. They're just good stories. They're way better than reality TV and the nonsense there. Right. So Christmas movies are always on. And I started noticing there's a number of these Christmas movies that have started to get placed in Wisconsin. There's even one Christmas movie I saw that was in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oh, wow. Yes, wow. yes, yes. But here's my thing. You know what I've noticed about these Wisconsin Christmas movies there's no Packer stuff. <laughs> People are baking cookies, not making chili. There's nobody outside in shorts on the grill making brats. These are not Wisconsin Christmas movies. They're not set here. Yeah, no, 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 no they're so, not that filmed here. Maybe it's a better way. Of yeah, yeah. They, 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 they don't know us. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Like, because you know good and well. If it was a true Wisconsin Christmas movie, there's things that would be in place. There would at least. There's going to be at least one Packer ornament on the tree somewhere mm-hmm. or, or, or a flag or something. Somebody, somebody, you or know, badger or badger, right. Or bucks, or bucks, you know, 
we, we can't forget the brewers either. But nonetheless, there would be representation because the one thing we do do here well is we do represent. And, you know, everybody's always baking these cookies and stuff. Look, I, I don't know about you, but I believe that chili might be the Christmas wintery substance of choice around here. You speak it to my heart, Timber. I'm just saying. You're speaking to my heart. Yeah, I'm just saying. What's what's, uh, uh, interesting, I just heard this week an interview with a person that's in one of these Christmas movies. And what they did is they filmed the whole thing in a cul-de-sac in a snowy place um, in California. (laughs) Uh, And and they're trying to represent uh, (laughs) trying to represent whatever place uh, there is. And you notice that in most of them, they're towns uh, close to mountains or they're out there in ranches or whatever. Uh, The the ones that are in places that could be like Wisconsin, like you say, uh, they may not even mention Wisconsin. It just, you know, make you think it's a Midwest area or if they do, um, there's no way you could tell that it really was done in Wisconsin and it probably wasn't. I'm just saying, look, if y'all going to go ahead and make these movies and say that they are set in Wisconsin, then represent us. Represent who we really are. Yeah. That's it. Amen. Amen. <laughs> okay. We're going to jump into the next segment. The next segment is word association. This is where I'm going to say a word to you, Chuck, and you tell us what's on your mind. Um, and we always start out with our unifying word, the great word, the word of Food. Oh, oh, well, it's hard to come up with one, but chicken wings oh. are, are, my, are my absolute favorite. I, I try to make sure I have chicken wings every week of the year, um, whether it's at a restaurant or at home. Um, they, they are um, my great comfort food. Oh, you know, you're speaking my language. You're, you're, talking, you're talking to my heart and my head. Um, so do we got a do we got a favorite chicken wing around here? Oh, there's so many uh, good ones. Um, just because uh, out of I, I would say out of habit more than anything else, I show up at Buffalo Wild Wings uh, often. But um, many bars uh, have great chicken wings, and um, it's it's almost like you can't lose. Uh, uh, they, they they in order to be competitive. They, they know they have to be good at that. I'm going to give a shout out to Parker Johns. Okay. Parker Johns recently, you know, I've been kind of hanging out there. I won't call Parker Johns my new church yet, but it is uh, it is an establishment that I do like to go to. And I've, I've had their wings a couple of times now. They're decent. Yeah. And if you don't know it, um, they're getting ready to open a new one. On the northeast side of Appleton, oh. off, off of Ballard Road. Uh, no, I didn't know off, that. Off of Forty One, yeah, it was the place was Beef Eaters before, and uh, now we're turning that into a Parker John's. So um, the Appleton audience will be able to uh, imbibe also. Oh well, you know what? It sounds like uh, Chuck. We're going on a f- chicken wing field trip. Oh, okay, sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> I'm in. All right, cocktail or beer. Well, cocktails is what I usually drink, and my summer drink is uh, Tanqueray and tonic, and my winter drink is Tito's and tonic. So gin and tonic in the in the uh, summer and in the winter vodka and tonic. Uh, it's <laughs> uh, it's light. It's it it just tastes good or whatever. I'm not a, a hard drinking guy. I, I I I want I want it to be light, and when I'm done. 
not feel like I had to go through a lot of machinations to get through the drink. I do, you know what I like? I like that you, you made it seasonal. So there, there's, I'm going to go this route when it's warm, and then these are for when it's not. That is fantastic. See, I'm, I, I, I'm consistency. I drink the same thing all the time. I, I am. And you know what? I have moved. I was Grey Goose loyal for a long, long time. Ooh, nice. But I've moved Tito's. Okay. Um, and I'll tell you why. Part of it is economics. <laughs> economics. Because <laughs> there's a lot of establishments that have a Tito's special. So I found out there's, you know, I can go Grey Goose. But, I mean, if Tito's is going to get me there and there might be a dollar or two cheaper, then guess what I'm going to do? Yeah. Tito's. Tito's is my new friend. It adds up. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, seltzer. So that that okay. is it. I'm Tito's and seltzer right now is my new friend. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, uh, on the beer side, uh, I, I'm um, I, I don't drink uh, much uh, beer, but um, I like uh, three one two uh, from the Chicago area. Yeah. And and uh, and Blue Moon. Uh, I like also. a good Blue Moon. Um, also, so you can see, I'm 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 a lightweight when it comes to these things. I'm not uh, doing heavy kind of drinking. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> uh, but then again, it depends. If you're ever from Wisconsin, uh, a light drink is heavy in other places. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Good point. Too. I'm just saying. Yeah. That's, you know, it, it is who we are. Concert. Well, uh, just recently in November. Went and saw the tra- Trans Siberian Orchestra. Oh, uh, and of course, uh, they're they're a Christmas uh, show. If you've never been, um, it's it's more than a concert. It truly is a show. Um, there's there they have platforms where people are going up and down. They have fire that comes out uh, in in the shows. Uh, they they always have a story. A show has a story to it. Uh, and usually story includes some of the favorite songs that you know. But then when the story is done, then they have a concert where they actually play uh, all the rest of the songs that you uh, know, <laughs> plus, plus others. Uh, and one of the cool things about them is that wherever they are, uh, they uh, hire a local um, group of people to be at the background orchestra. So this was in Green Bay. Oh, for real? Um, and so there, there are probably a dozen musicians from the Green Bay area that's uh, on the stage uh, doing doing the show and so they they don't travel around with the orchestra they they actually hire local people to do that they also hire local people um, as stagehands um, to um, um, you know build up the platform and, and break it down uh, they have there they have some roadies so to speak uh, to help them but um, in both cases they're using some local uh, labor so if um, I think there's still a show in Milwaukee that is available. Um, I don't recall when that's going to be, but if not this year, um, put it on your calendar. Get get on their mailing list because uh, you get on the mailing list, you get uh, early entry as far as tickets are concerned. You know when it's going to happen, and they only go from uh, November to January, and then they do other things the rest of the year. Oh, okay. Like that just seems like a really cool show. Like it seems like it would be. Lights, uh, like it—it's not just listening to the music, no. but you'd be 
there's a lot to, to uh, take. All of in. your senses. I uh, I always sit close enough so I could feel the heat from the fire uh, when, <laughs> when it uh, happens on the stage. So it 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 it, uh, it, it uh, tickles all of your senses. Chuck, you're a braver man than me. I'm not. In, I'm, I'm going to try to stay away from the fire. That's fair. Streaming. Well, uh, actually, uh, I'm not much of a streamer, but uh, I have started to watch Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime. Uh, and uh, one, I, I love uh, NFL football, so it, it's uh, uh, one of those background things. Uh, so I don't have to have Christmas movies on uh, <laughs> um, on, thurs, on Thursday nights. Uh, Al Michaels, of course, is a legendary uh, announcer he's fabulous and he's uh he's now the announcer on on thursday night football i like uh, him yeah yeah he's he's great very knowledgeable and they put together uh, a, a pretty good team i think it's uh, production wise just as good as the the networks or espn uh the production so um uh, as a prime member i i'm happy to have that possible possibility <sighs> Um, it, I I feel for people that uh, don't have Prime that they can't watch football if they love football on Thursday night, but uh, it's again uh, one of the benefits I think of uh, of uh, Am- Amazon Prime. But anyway, um, if you have it and you haven't tried it, there's still some weeks left in the season. Uh, try it next Thursday night. Well, you know what, Chuck? Since you've you've kind of been around for you know you've moved a few places. Uh, What's your yeah. team? Well, I spent 30 plus years in Chicago, so it's the Bears. It's the Bears. It's, it's the Bears. Yeah. You catch and, some heat here. Yeah, well, yeah. And and ever since I've been here, uh there was you know, there's only been I think one year, maybe two years where they've done better than the Packers and so it's it but you know, when you're a Bears fan, you you are you're not in it to win it. You're in it uh to to just uh see see them play. The suffer, so, huh? Yeah, <laughs> suffer, suffer through the season. Suffer through the season. Oh, and something that maybe your your audience doesn't know, at least the local audience, is that um on the on west side of Appleton, on the road that goes by the airport, there's a bar called Holidays. And uh Holidays on the in the upstairs has the Bears Den. Uh, the upstairs uh, is all decorated with bear what? stuff, uh, the, with bear stuff, and uh, you know pictures and trophies and whatever. And that, and if you're a Bears fan, especially when it's not on local TV, which is not on local TV many Sundays, uh, you can go there, and they got the satellites hooked up, and you can watch the Bears fans with a uh, Bears game with all sorts of other Bears fans, and. Uh, uh, in those few times when we score a touchdown, uh, they play Bear Down Chicago Bears, uh, and you can sing along with that. And so, so that, that's one of those hidden things. Even if you if you can go, even if you go on the holidays website, it, they don't mention it. It's it's just one of those hidden things that uh, uh, bear bear fans tell other bear fans, and uh, we show up for. Okay, that, hey, look, you already gave us a hidden gem. Yeah. I'm gonna count that as a hidden gem okay. too. But, good. but we're still gonna talk we, about yeah. that. Well, there's plenty of them. All right, um, shop local. Yeah, uh, Fifth Ward Brewing um, uh, is uh, a favorite place uh, of mine. Uh, uh, although I just said I'm not a big uh, beer drinker, I I like the place. I like the atmosphere. The the beer is good. Uh, sometimes they even have uh, entertainment like comedy shows. Uh, I've, I've I've done that uh, down there, 
And um, again, I'm, I don't live in the area, so I don't do a lot of shopping in the area. But uh, Fifth Ward Brewing, as far as I'm concerned, is worthwhile uh, going down to see that. I've definitely uh, I've gone there like one time. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a very very yeah, good, good crowd. Time. Good yeah. crowd. A lot of solid, space. Just a solid. Just a solid group of people. Yeah, and they often have uh, food trucks outside, so what you can uh, uh, you know get a, a little food. They don't really serve. Uh, food there but uh the food trucks uh, they let you bring that inside and it's it's all good hey look i'm i'm a sucker for a quality food truck yeah, yeah. you know there's oh, something I'm about the food truck food yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's authentic let's put it that way in it, many it, cases it, it, it is yes. you really can't i don't know if you can get more authentic than food truck food right. no, <laughs> i think you're correct um legacy yeah um I, th- I think that um, the pandemic is going to be um, a big deal for a long time. Um, it, even once we get past the medical aspect of it, the effects, you know, we were just talking about um, employment, but the effects on American life is, is going to be um, tremendous. I mean, we already started right. to see it with the, the hybrid uh, working at least on with white collar uh, uh, workers, uh, the medical advances that um, have been amazing that right. have taken place, and I think um, the processes that um, had the medical advances take place will help in other areas. Uh, if we could get the fax, vaccine that we got so quickly, um, there'll be other medical advances that will come much more quickly. Uh, now we know how to just put our heads down and, and, and uh, get things uh, uh, done. Um, when you look back at the Spanish flu in the um, 19-teens, it had a tremendous um, uh, impact on, on society. Um, they, there was a, a mini baby boom after the Spanish flu, um, and, and that, that baby boom happened then, and not after World War I, which ended earlier. It was after... Uh, the Spanish flu, so we'll see if we get that. But all, um, one of the things that I read about is that um, the increase in alternative medicine um, really started uh, after the Spanish flu because people um, lost faith in uh, the, the traditional medical community oh, okay. uh, at the time. And so uh, to the extent that people, uh, obviously people don't have uh, complete faith in the uh, traditional uh, medical community. It's given still, how few, yeah, yeah, not, yeah, not now, now even, because yeah. uh, there was a lot of controversy that happened over. There was a lot of controversy, um, and um, even though um, there's all these vaccines and boosters uh, that the traditional medical community say uh, work, people are, there are a large number of people that are not doing it, uh, are not doing it fully. So it's, it's, um, uh, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happened. Um, I think that um, this is going to continue to uh, uh, lead to m- uh, more thoughts about what's the right way to do socialized medicine. Um, and uh, in essence, um, we, we, we have um, uh, an increase in socialized medicine. I, uh, in fact, today I'm going to get my um, latest set of uh, COVID tests for free yeah. uh, from the government. Uh, and, and you can just go on uh, COVID.gov and, and order them for, for free. And so it, it, it's, it's going to be pretty interesting uh, 
to see um, what happens after the pandemic. I never thought of it that way, but it's a very good point you're making. Like this could be the introduction to socialized medicine. Uh, like on a, I mean, we have it anyway to an extent, right? But but, but not like the Europeans have it, right? No, no, no. But this might be this might be the the door, the gateway to saying, look, if we could do this well, we can do it, yeah, right? Because I'm actually I'm I'm not. I don't understand the need for privatizing healthcare because my belief is is healthcare was never meant to be profitable, mm-hmm. right? The idea that we've constructed it's a good, not a, right, yeah. and the fact that we've constructed it to be as such that's not benefiting us right. as a whole. It is just there's no way it can because well, once you tie it to money your health care and if you don't have money or insurance or whatever and you can't get it that's not good for the greater good of our society yeah and, and the statistics show that in developed countries um, we spend the mo- most per capita on health care and our outcomes are in the middle of, of the pack right it like, doesn't it doesn't match right yeah. we're spending so the most money there's something wrong with this picture right yeah yeah, yeah. Um, community. Well, uh, the what we just talked about has uh, uh, some things to do with community too, because uh, uh, community um, says that we're in to, we're in all this together, and and we should be willing to uh, work together to, to advance ourselves. Um, and unfortunately, we've we've become uh, we we've interpreted the American uh, way of life uh, to be so individualistic. That uh, uh, there are times uh, uh, we we um, don't uh, do the things that we should do uh, as a community, and given our technology, it's it's so, it's so easy. Everyone's got their own phones uh, almost in every class of of, of people. Right. Um, the closest thing we have to community are, are sports. Uh, you know, we were just talking about the Packers. Well, if you live in this part of uh, Wisconsin, there you got something in common, whether you're liberal or conservative or, or what ethnicity you have uh, or, or whatever. But um, unlike uh, in, in, my youth in 1969, when we all saw the the moon landing and and men getting out on the moon, we just don't have those kind of uh, events uh, in, uh, anymore yeah. that bring us together. And so, I I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm 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 just saying, um, as far as community is concerned, uh, I think the genie is out of the bottle, and we're gonna have a hard time recreating the community. That we had. But look at 9-11. I mean, after 9-11, we thought, oh, this was something that was going to bring us all back together. Well, even 9-11 didn't bring us back together. It's, For a little while. Yeah, it did for a little while. But, but, it, but it, not it long term, right. It dissipated r- 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 pretty quickly. And, Fairly quickly. And, and now you couldn't, you wouldn't be able to, outside of, you know, going to the memorial in uh, downtown New York, uh, there's, it's, there's uh, relatively little of that left. I... I blame that on the fact of uh, as long as it is, as people see it to be advantageous to divide us, Mm -hmm. yeah, to to consume power, we're we're in a bad place, yeah, right, because that's really what people are doing. There, they know we're stronger together, but 
you can't build power like that. Right. Right. So you have to create these wedge issues um, to divide us. And then you can become powerful in said groups. And that's a point, again, made by the some of us, by Heather, Heather McGee. I'm, I, I don't get any um, remuneration from that, but uh, um, I, I've been reading that book, and, and she makes that point there also. Okay. We're going to jump into the next segment. The next segment is Kosh Hidden Gems. Uh, this is your opportunity to share something, someone, uh, whatever it is. It could be something we all know about, and maybe there's a particular thing we don't know about it. But what gem do you have for, for us this week, Chuck? Well, hidden in the Oshkosh Public Library uh, on one of the upper floors is the Winnebago Area Literacy Council. And the, uh, the Winnebago Area Literacy Council is there to help uh, immigrants learn English well enough to be able to function in our society, whether it's to work or be a parent, help their children go to school uh, or, or whatever. And um, we were just we were talking about immigrants earlier, uh, and uh, this is an um, important organization in this area to help in, increase our workforce uh, so that they make sure that they know English well enough so that they can do that. I am, on the, I am a, a director, I'm on the board of directors of uh, this organization, uh, so I, I wanted to disclose that. But um, uh, the, the need for volunteers uh, and, and donations is, is huge, and, and I would uh, encourage people to go to winlit.org um, to um, uh, learn more about uh, the, the organization. Um, and even if you're not in Oshkosh, most major, major or most cities uh, have a literacy council Right. That that does that in Appleton. There's one for for yes. Appleton and and shout out um, shout out to um, the Appleton Literacy Council. They it, do great work. Yeah, yeah, and and most of them do. And it's really done on a pretty low budget uh, with volunteers, and so um, and and relatively little uh, government aid. And so it's it's uh, uh, something that uh, I I would invite uh, listeners to to uh, find their local literacy council and at least uh, understand it, at least learn about it, and you may uh, want it to, to uh, be part of it. And so uh, I'm, I'm proud to be uh, part of it, and I know that the work we're doing is helping the Oshkosh area. Yes. Uh, I, I just want to say that I was lucky enough uh, to go to their, I believe it's their major fundraiser, event which is a spelling bee um and this the energy in this room it was packed i mean it was the participation like i didn't know it was going to be as big as what it is it was big um and what i will also say is this what i learned is that i can't spell (laughs) (laughs) i'm just saying well Uh, i I don't know where they find the words yeah those uh, words are wrong yeah yeah (laughs) and it turned out and and and, uh timber's wife was sitting at our table that we were fifth uh as far as as, uh the the results we were were the fifth highest and there were dozens and dozens of tables and so um it, it together 
uh, you know, we we uh, did a pretty good job. Hey, I did not know we came out as yeah, fifth. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. What's the cash need? Well, I'm not a resident here, so it's it's very hard for me to um, say. Do you, and I don't work here, so. Uh, do you have one for the region? Is there something in the fi- the Fox City's needs? Well, uh, um, I, I, and actually the Fox Cities for its size, I think, does uh, a great job. Um, we have to continue to um, have events that are, are attractive uh, for a wide range of, uh, of people, um, whether uh, it's male, female, ethnicities, uh, or whatever. Um, a lot of our events are, you know, still historical base, and and uh, we 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 in you know we we have we always have a uh, Martin Luther King birthday celebration in Appleton, but there should be other things besides uh, uh, that. Well, uh, I think they're doing better. I mean, mm-hmm. I I the Juneteenth Day celebration is impressive. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and that's real. Um, you know, um, a Latino Fest is impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, the Hmong New Year, Hmong, uh, there's a, oh, I'm trying to think what is the event. It's not Hmong New Year. There's a Hmong celebration that also happens during the, the summer months. Um, like, I'm, I'm always, for Northeast Wisconsin, mm-hmm. I'm always blown away by what actually um the things that are starting to, that Appleton does and what I've noticed uh, other surrounding communities are starting to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of that stuff, some of that energy the and the will and the want and the acceptance is uh, trinkling to places like the Kosh here. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, maybe we're not doing it yet or on that grand scale, but it's it's – People are talking about it, and I think these things are going to start appearing more often. Well, that that would be great, and um, I just also like to see um, that kind of energy be integrated in in the society wise uh, bigger uh, events. Um, there, they have a number of of, of um, people of color that are entertainers on, on Mile of Music. Mm-hmm. But the participation of the community is uh, relatively low for my. Uh, uh, just from my experience. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if a lot of the um, residents, uh, diverse residents around here, know all of the uh, entertainers that come to Mile of Music and actually the quality oh, God, of those. Fabulous. I mean, those those the people they bring in for Mile of Music. Whoa, yeah, that's that's some powerful. Like for the region, for us to get some of those people, yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah, and they come from all over the country. Right, and we, I I just think it's a, here's the funny thing. I mean, I've lived in the region for like 30 years, and, and I didn't know, like, I've never been to Mile Music until I started working in Appleton oh, this really? time around. And, oh. and now, knowing what it is, I'm like, I've been missing out. Well, if you live in Appleton, you can't get anywhere downtown <laughs> doing uh, no, uh, mile of music. So uh, you know, unless you're, uh, uh, you know, not not going by downtown. Unless you're reason. unless you're the officer with lights flashing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's if you if you live in Appleton, you you got to know about it, and and we just got to find 
um, ways to make sure that um, all communities feel good about participating in these big events also, right. besides the specific events. Yes. Um, the next segment is called the Naughty Slash Heroes Corner. This is your opportunity to place someone, something. It, it, it doesn't have to be a person. It could be an organization. It could be whatever in either corner. And share with us why. Well, I'm going to talk about heroes because uh, I'm an optimistic, uh, positive type of guy. Mm-hmm. And my childhood hero is Muhammad Ali. Ah. Uh, and and uh, I, I grew up in the 60s and 70s when he was uh, at, at his best. But even besides boxing, his impact on the world, uh, and literally the world, we're talking about uh, Africa and Asia and, and uh, Europe, is um, even beyond the United States, uh, was was tremendous and and is tremendous. Uh, he still has. Uh, um, you still see a lot of, of uh, uh, posters of him, and uh, there's constantly new books written about him. I have a pretty good library of uh, Muhammad Ali books, uh, and I got some uh, artworks and posters. Uh, one of my prized uh, pieces is um, something that uh, he and Michael Jordan did uh, mm. for the Chicagoland uh, Chevy dealers. And uh, if you went in and got a uh, test drive, then you know you got a poster with uh, both of them on it, um, and it's titled The Greatest. Um, because, you know, those... I mean, people will, will, will debate whether Jordan is the greatest of all time or Ali is the greatest of all time, but they're certainly one of the greatest uh, yeah. in, in their respective uh, sports. Well... The um, the Chicagoland auto dealers actually each of them got three copies of that poster that are actually signed, wet signed by uh, the two of them, and and you know they have the attestation um, that that they were signed by them. And um, one of those uh, dealers uh, went to uh, had kids that went to the school that my kids went to, and it, at a at an auction, uh, I um, bought one of those posters. So I, uh, I have, uh, I have a, a copy of that, uh, at, at my place. Chuck, and that's fire. It's, 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 that's fire. It's, it's uh, really cool. Um, so, um, and being in Chicago a long time, Michael Jordan also, of course, uh, uh, even, you know, even though he hasn't, uh, well, he played for Carolina for a little bit, but 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 really hasn't played in thirty years. Uh, uh, well, twenty years, I guess is right. Uh, twenty years. Uh, he's he's still um, a, a legend and and a, a place that um, I think even beyond basketball, just being um, impact. In, yeah, yeah, he changed impact. the game. He, he, oh, he literally changed the game, and um, and even though those of us who could never be as as good, um, his concentration is was uh, uh, and, and and attention to details was uh, was tremendous. And yeah, I it, think he had a, a a will to win that like most people. Right, like it was different. Like yeah. he he did not. It was no joke. Oh no! Yeah, he, he had to win. Yeah, and, and losing was was not uh, uh, tolerated, and so so. Um, uh, you know, but but Ali um, 
for as long as he was able to box and, you know, three different times was the world champion uh, and heavyweight champion. It's um, a feat that will never be repeated. And uh, I, I think that uh, he'll have an impact for many decades to come. Okay. Thank you. Uh, at this time, I think we're just going to take a quick commercial break. Hi, I'm Dawn Gulke, the Executive Director of Casa of the Fox Cities. Science proves that one consistent adult can change the story of a child. Could that one person be you? Become a court-appointed special advocate. Build a relationship with a child, help identify their needs, and give that child a voice in a process that can otherwise feel lonely. Contact us today. Children who have experienced abuse and neglect can't wait. Learn more about Casa of the Fox Cities at casafc.org or call Leah at 920-257-4733. All right, we're back. So this is that time of the show, one of our favorite times of the show, where... Every time, every time it makes me happy. I don't know why. <laughs> it just does. It is time for the topic of the week. The topic of the week is is a ninety nine point nine percent of the time chosen by our guests. So, Chuck, what is our topic of the week? Well, I titled it "Minding the Gap," minding the racial wealth gap. Uh, it's something that people know are there, but they don't really know. Uh, the details of it. And I'd like to share that with you listeners. Let's break it down. Okay. Um, I, I have a presentation um, uh, out there uh, on the internet that I've given to uh, p- groups all across the country on, on uh, understanding the racial wealth gap. And my presentation uh, is purely from academic work. Uh, this is not my opinions on things or what I think is happening. Uh, what I'm getting ready to, to uh, share with you um, is our facts that, uh, that are from, from there. And um, I got interested in this because when, once I started learning a few things about it, it, it was mind-blowing uh, what, uh, what has happened and why it's happened. And, um, and then we got to figure out ways of doing something about it. I like that you preference this because I do think it's something where People sometimes think people are just saying these things right. or that they're just making excuses or they're trying to guilt. No, no. this is this is systematic. It, it's systematic. And, and I'm and I'm just going to, for the most part, just say facts there. It's one little part in which you, know, you, you could decide if you wanted to debate it with me. But um, I, I still think it's factual. But 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 for most of this. Uh, it's truly facts. And the, the racial wealth gap, and, and when we say wealth, we're talking about um, assets that a family has. We're not talking about income that you earn. That's a, that would be the income gap. And there is a, a racial income gap, but the racial wealth gap is, is um, very wide and, and um, wider than most people think. In fact, the latest uh, data that we have uh, from 2019 shows that um, the 
typical white family on average has $170,000 of net worth, and a typical black family has about $20,000 of net worth. Bruh. So eight to nine times uh, as much. And uh, before the uh, Great Recession, uh, the gap was even larger. Um, the, the numbers are higher for, for white families and lower for black families. And Hispanic families um, uh, are just a little bit uh, higher than that on, on average. And, and Asian families are, are higher, but still nowhere close to uh, where the uh, uh, typical white family is. And the fact that blew my mind is that if you take the 400 people on the Forbes 400 uh, richest billionaires list that they have every every uh, year, now there's there's two black um, people on that list. But if you take the wealth of those 400 people, it's more than all black households in the country. Hmm. Bruh. I mean, that, 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 that's amazing that 400 families could have more wealth than all African-Americans that's, uh, in, in, in the country. That's, that shows you just how big uh, the, the gap is. 400 families, just yeah, 400. Just 400. 400, yeah. And, and um, there's often uh, multiple people from one family on that list. So it's really 400 people that have uh, uh, more wealth than all black families together. And so, uh, you know, that, that really tells you, um, and, and we have about uh, 100, uh, about um, uh, 150,000, is that right? Uh, uh, no, million, um, no, 15 million households, black households uh, in the country. And so it's... it's um, so 400 people are, have more wealth than 15, 15 million. million households combined. So... Um, McKinsey and Company, the consulting firm, has really taken upon themselves to, to again, understand the facts of, 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 of the wealth gap and why it happens. And um, they, in their um, system, so to speak, say that there's you know, four ways that um, wealth can be uh, generated. And in each one of these ways... Um, uh, blacks um, are far behind. Uh, the first one is the community context. Uh, as uh, the saying goes, it's not what you know, but it's who you know. Uh, and mm. and uh, whatever right. community that you uh, live in has some impact on that. If you're middle class and you're black, your neighbors earn about $42,000 a year. If you're white, they they're earning almost $53,000 a year. So just because of where you live um, makes it harder for you to have the network to be able to uh, move up as, as um, easily as, as white families do. And 65%, two-thirds of the blacks in the country live, on states, live in states that have below average performance in health care, broadband access, uh, and economic activity. So... If you live somewhere where you don't have the uh, all that you need, uh, even though you're you're intelligent or you're willing to take risk or whatever, it's hard to uh, to gain wealth, and so so that's one problem. Um, the second problem is family wealth. Um, as as uh, uh, we know, a lot of wealth is passed down uh, from generation to generation. Um, an, a, another number 
because I'm black that I didn't really realize is that um, when you look at uh, people who are less than or greater than 30 and less than 60 years old that are white, a third of them have received an inheritance. Mm. For black people, it's one in 10, 10%. And so uh, if, if you get capital from your parents, you can do more things and uh, uh, pay for educations for your children and, and, and so on. And then when you did get an inheritance, uh, uh, the white inheritance is about double that of the black inheritance uh, on average, 196000 versus 100000 So um, that perpetuates the gap uh, uh, with the wealth going down from uh, generation uh, to, to generation. The third thing um, is, of course, income. And um, again, the way, especially for professionals, if we, if we talk about professionals, um, what happens over time in their careers have an impact on what kind of income you have, which impacts what kind of wealth you can maintain. It turns out that at entry levels, the um, demographics of professionals uh, reflect the country uh, as far as the number of um, men and women, white and black. It's, 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 uh, it's uh, pretty much the same. It's 36% white men, 31% white women, uh, 17% women of color, 16% men of color. But once they, you get, uh, and uh, as you go up uh, all the way to the C-suite professionals, the chief investment officers, the chief financial officers, and whatever, over two-thirds of them are white males. Um, and and uh, only um, 4% are, are women of color, only 9% are men of color. And so uh, if you're not able to earn um, you know, big income, it's hard to generate wealth for your family. So, so that's a problem. Facts. And finally, um, the um, uh, ability to save, of course, has an impact on what wealth you, you have. And, um, uh, of course, housing is a major uh, problem as far as trying to figure out how much you can save. If your housing costs are high, you, you can't save. And it turns out that um, uh, among renters, which, let's just talk about renters, that if, if um, the percentage of the renters that pay more than half of their income for housing is a little less 20% for white people, but it's over a third for, for black people. So those households can't save when they're spending over half of their income. In, in, just uh, trying uh, to uh, uh, keep a roof well, over yeah. your head. And, and, and there's similar type uh, numbers uh, um, for owners too. So together, when you look at those four aspects, it's, it's not hard to believe that uh, there's a, a major wealth gap that is uh, ongoing. Um, the other um, thing, and, uh, well, so that's one point. One, the next point is the intergenerational wealth mobility. And that's um, if, if, if your parents are in a certain wealth class, what happens to the, the children as time goes on? It turns out that um, blacks have a greater rate of downward mobility compared uh, to whites. It's a really interesting uh, study that's done by the Panel Study of Economic uh, Dynamics at the University of Michigan. Back in the 60s, they started create, uh, collecting all sorts of uh, income and wealth data of a, a large sample of families across the country. And then ever since then, 
to the extent they are able to, they follow those families, uh, generations, um, and now they're in the in the third, going on to the fourth generations of adults in in uh, this case, and um, what what they found is that um, uh, one of the more interesting points they found is that if you're um, in the top twenty percent of wealth, uh, if your parents were in the top twenty percent of wealth it is almost assured that you will not be in a top 20% of wealth if you're black. Uh, it's the, the numbers. Are, what? Uh, it, 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 the history is such uh, that it, 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 it um, so it's, it, it's, uh, it's almost assured. It's close to a hundred percent that um, once we get there, right. The next generation uh, for whatever reasons, we don't know all the reasons, but for whatever reasons, the next generation will probably not be there. There will be another generation that will get there, but then uh, the, the the next generation. But it doesn't won't. stay in the family. It doesn't. It doesn't stay in family. So it's it's like it's one percent of the top twenty percent of wealth are are blacks, and the families that are that way now versus uh, in the eighties are almost completely different. Uh, there, there, you know, there's a few exceptions. I want to ask what happens. Well, you, you, yeah, 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 you, yeah, and 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 I don't have the facts to, to tell you. They, right. they they don't they don't collect that on 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 what happened. Um, but there's many white families where they're in the 20, top twenty percent and they stay that way for right. generation after generation. And so um, when you have that going up and down, it's hard then to have one family build the wealth to be able. To uh, do it, I, I, I mentioned there's uh, two uh, uh, black individuals in the Forbes 400. Well, they're first generation. Um, they, they didn't uh, get any help from their families to get there, any significant help from the families to get there. So that's, um, it, it's, it's uh, and of course, um, it's unequal to start with. I mean, in the, if you look at the lower 20%, um, blacks uh, have a proportionally higher um, place in, uh, in, in whites, but even when you get there, we have, we're not staying there, and that's something that uh, there needs to be a lot more research on. Hmm. And so that that impacts uh, the the um, wealth gap. That one just blows me away. Yeah, because yeah. you would think like if you can if you can build it, yeah, that you would set up like you do the things get the professionals that, that would help you. Well, yeah, and that that there. you do the things that the other for lack of better terms, these are the white families do to create and protect uh, those assets. Right. You know, and to make sure that they like stay in the family or they're passed on or, you know, that they're put in a trust or whatever it is that that is done to guarantee it. Well, uh, and maybe there are no guarantees. It all depends on uh, what happens, but you know, I, I don't know why, but uh, that those are the facts of uh, what has happened. So, uh, Duke University uh, has um, the Samuel Dubois Cook, uh, Cook Center on Social Equity, and they've done uh, a lot of work uh, and research uh, in this. And they have a publication that I, I invite you all to uh, look up called What We Get Wrong About Closing the Racial Wealth Gap. And they go through 10 myths um, about closing the racial wealth gap that um, I, I'm, I'm going to raise my hand and say that I at one point believed one or more of these uh, myths, and it's likely that uh, uh, you and, and people in your audience um, believe these myths. And 
uh, I don't, we don't have time to go through all 10. I'm just going to go through uh, a few of them. Okay. But um, the one that I was raised with is, you know, if I get uh, the highest education possible, uh, then that's going to become the great equalizer. Right. Uh, I, I was, you know, I'm, I'm, I come from that. It, yeah. I think a lot of people um, in, in, you know, professionals um, were raised uh, with that. It turns out that um, if, if, when you look at the numbers, that um, white uh, college graduates have, um, the typical family has about $268,000 of wealth, whereas a typical black family has $70,000 in wealth. So a white family with the same education um, uh, 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 typically has four times the wealth that uh, uh, black families have. And in fact, to really blow your mind, white high school dropout families have more wealth than black college-educated families, typically. Bruh. <laughs> I have no words. $83,000 is the median, uh, for the median household for high school dropouts that are white, and it's, and Black uh, college graduates, median is $70,000. I mean, I'm not, realistically, I'm not surprised, surprised, but you would think it gives you, me pause. You'd think the education would, uh, you know. Um, uh, it, uh, it, it would it, be it, an it, equalizer. Equalizer for, you know, that, that much difference in education. Uh, and as we'll talk about before, obviously there's wealth being transferred in these uh, family, these white families, so that they could have, you know, whether it's a farm or right. or a business, land, or something like that. land. Uh, yeah. 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 So that's that's what's happening there. Um, the other myth that uh, uh, I know I had is that if I work hard, uh, if if we if, if if all us blacks work hard, we can close the racial wealth gap. Uh, and again, it it's not going to uh, happen that way. If you look at people in the top 20% of income, um, if you're a white family, you have typically about $518,000, so a little over half a million. And if you're black, you have 262000 So there's, it's about double the wealth of white families versus black families in the uh, top 20% of income. And, and, this, and this same kind of relationship, in fact, it gets larger, um, takes place in, in all the income uh, brackets. So just because you and I make the same money, it's likely if you're white that you're going to have about double the wealth that I'm going to have. That's wild. Uh, the third one, the last one that I'll I'll talk about is uh, home ownership. You know, we we have the view that if you own your home, you're you're going to uh, be able to uh, you know build the wealth that you need and right. and whatever. As you could probably guess by now, that's not the case. Um, uh, white homeowners have uh, two and a half times the wealth on average than black owners, about 240000 versus 100000 So um, it's, it, and, and they go through, um, I mean, one of the, I won't talk about the numbers, but one of the myths out there is that uh, black households are overrepresented among the poor uh, and, and, and whatever. And, you know, that alone will do it. Well, even within um, these um, you know, uh, wealth, uh, income classes and wealth classes, there's, there's uh, much more uh, wealth in white families than there are 
in, in, in black families. And it doesn't matter whether it's single mother or two parents, uh, it, it, it yeah. what, what, whatever configuration you want to come up with, right. um, that relationship holds. So, you know, what's going on here? Uh, well, that's what I was going to ask. That's, that's what, the is, what, what does it all mean? Yeah. Mean. Yeah. What is, what is the, I mean, what is, what should we be taking away from well, this? Well, uh, and, and academic studies come to the conclusion that the racial wealth gap derives from systemic racism and white supremacy. Um, and um, it, this was summarized real well by President Lyndon Johnson, a Texan, a Southerner, who was, of course, president. And he made a, a speech at Howard University, a historical black uh, uh, college university, in 1965. And he said this. You do not take a person who for years have been hobbled by chains and liberate him, bring him to the starting line of a race, and then say, you are free to compete with all the others, and still justly believe that you have been completely fair. And so uh, just because in 1964, the the act to uh, open up everything for all races uh, took place, the Civil Rights Act, just because, uh, as he says, um, you, you cannot just seek freedom. You have to seek opportunity. Just because the laws were, uh, uh, you know, uh, taken away, the bad laws were taken away, that doesn't mean that you had the opportunity even right. to, um, that, that other people had. So he said, we seek not just legal equity, but human ability. Not just equality as a right and a theory, but equality as a fact and equality as a result. And uh, most, most uh, researchers will tell you that that has not happened. Um, just because uh, you know, we have uh, equal rights doesn't mean we have equal opportunity. Right. Uh, and, that, and that has hurt. Uh, uh, and, to, and to get into um, uh, the history of all this, and, and I've been speaking a little bit about it, um, Next month, we're going to have uh, the King birthday, and there'll be all these King celebrations going around, and everyone's going to want to do a recitation of the I Have a Dream speech, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's gotten uh, pretty typical what these things uh, happen. What most people don't realize is that the I, Dream of, uh, I, I Have a Dream speech occurred in 1963. Um, he, he was uh, murdered in April 1968, on a Thursday night, I'll never forget it. Uh, uh, and by the time he got there, his focus had changed to uh, this whole issue of uh, equality of the law versus equality of, of economics, economic facts. And um, and uh, at, when he w- was murdered, he was uh, organizing a poor people a march on Washington. It was going to be both whites and blacks. Uh, uh, to, to happen, and, and then he, he got murdered. Well, a month before that, in March of 1968, he uh, gave a speech in a, a rural um, Mississippi black church that um, is a speech that really should be uh, um, said on King's birthday. I don't expect this speech to be uh, recited on the birthday, but this, but this speech really speaks to what Dr. King, how, how Dr. King felt at the end of his life. And it goes like this. 
Uh, well, and, and, and I, I should give the context. The context was he was making the point that when uh, slavery ended, yes, we, were, we became free, but we didn't get uh, what was promised to us as far as land or uh, farm equipment or what, whatever um, uh, you know, we could have had in order to be able to really have um, the economic um, opportunity. And um, there will be many people that will say, well, yeah, but, you know, everyone else got, their, got what they had because they earned it. Uh, why, why should they have given away things to, to black people? And uh, Dr. King says, at the very same time that America, and this is a quote, that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest which meant it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did it give them land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, Today, many of these same people are receiving millions of dollars from the government not to farm. And they are the very people telling the black man that they ought to lift themselves up by their own bootstraps. And this is what we face with, and this is our reality. And so he, he laid it out there that uh, all these people that said, oh, my family made it on their own, it's likely that they had government backing, to the, or, which, which in essence is capital, to get started. And that's the, that's the, big, that's the big problem, is that the capital has all gone uh, to, to the majority um, uh, families, and there's relatively little amount of capital that has gone to people of color. And that's, that's, what's, that's what, what's underneath Bruh. what has happened. So it's uh, uh, it's it, it, it's it's a tough uh, subject, and it's not easy to um, uh, it, it's not going to be easy to rectify it, it, if we ever rectify it. I don't think we can. Yeah, it, I, it, I don't think we could do little things. We there, we could do little things. Yeah, uh, and you know one of the realizations that uh, you have to you have to have is that this gap starts early in life. Um, it, it, it's, it's in the twenties. This is not just people who have, you know, made a lot of money and that's why there's a gap. Um, if you look at people, uh, uh, around the age of 30, the median wealth of, of a, um, a black family is $600 of, of a white family. It's $25,000. So mm. there again, because of student loan debt and, uh, you know, all sorts of other reasons uh, right. and, and parents giving money uh, to their children. Uh, the white, fa white families start out with an advantage even at age 30. So it, this, is, this, this goes across all age groups uh, that this is happening. It just gets, it gets wider, of course, as, as time goes on. And so there, are, um, there is legislation out there um, that um, the, the one that most people think has the best chance of uh, addressing it to some extent, and certainly not fully, are the, the baby bond um, legislations. And this is a legislation in which the government would set up 
um, in, in essence, savings accounts for every child. Um, doesn't matter the race, doesn't matter the income, um, at the be- at the beginning of their lives. And then um, as time goes on, based on taxable income, uh, more uh, will be given as time goes on. If you're Bill Gates' um, child, you get a relatively little amount. If you're you know, a poor child, you, you get more. And the studies show that um, if we were to implement that uh, now, um, that by 2060, let's say 40 years from now, instead of um, uh, the white-black uh, ratio going to six, where uh, it's likely to be then, it'll go down to three times. So, you know, it, again, it, it's not going to close it completely, but it, it would uh, it, it, it would help. It changes the trajectory. It changes the trajectory. And that money can only be used um, for housing, education, um, you know, um, the things that build capital. Um, and uh, Cory Booker is the sponsor in the, in the, in the, in the Senate. Um, and represent Presley in the House, um, but you know it's sitting in committees and, and nothing is happening. So, right, uh, you know, it, it, people have to get serious if they're going um, if they really want to address the issue. Oh yeah, because it's going to be a fight. Yeah, yeah, that, there's yeah, no and, way. And and the bootstrap it, people are definitely showing up for that one. Well, well yeah, yeah. But uh, the thing is, is that this this uh, this kind of legislation helps people without capital of all races. So it's, it's, it's not a black-white issue. It's, uh, it's, it's do we want to, um, you know, help uh, undergird our, our poor people just like uh, the immigrants that came in the 1800s um, when we gave them millions of acres of land and then all the other things. And, and um, it, it, it's going to be, I, I, you know, I'm realistic. It's going to be a very difficult fight. But at least now... Um, you understand what we're facing when it comes right. to the racial wealth gap, that it's, it's, it's huge. And, um, and, and hopefully um, uh, people will better understand uh, the background of it and uh, how difficult it's going to be to address it. Anything else you want to add? I, I, I think that's, that's uh, uh, really it. It, um, um, Make sure when you read articles or hear people talk about it that uh, they have their facts correct because there's uh, many people out there that will uh, say things and if they're not backed by reality, everything that I just told you, uh, again, came from academic studies or think tank studies. And so um, uh, make sure that uh, if you're going to follow this, that uh, you understand the sources of what it's being told. Is there a centralized location where if let's say somebody listened to this and they were like, I need to learn more. Yeah. Where well, might they start? Yeah. Uh, I, again, I think um, going to the uh, Duke University Dubois um, Center um, uh, is, is a great place to start. They, they have a lot of stuff on their website. It had, it has a better, you know, better explanation than probably I gave on, on these uh, myths uh, uh, about uh, the gap, and you really learn uh, a whole lot from from that. And then they're doing continuous studies there. Uh, the other the other place, oddly enough, is McKinsey and Company. I mean, it's you know, McKinsey is a internationally known global um, consulting firm, but they have done a lot of work on the causes and um, um, and and just understanding 
racial wealth gap. And so they have a tremendous amount of resources on their site also. What we will do is we, as we always like to tell the listeners, uh, we will, if we got some links, we'll be sure to put these links in the podcast notes. Yeah. I'll, I'll make sure to share that with you. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. We needed that. Um, I just think it's important to know this stuff. And, and I like I like the constant preferencing of that, you know, these are facts. You know, that, that this isn't just assumptions or people talking randomly or anything like that. This is this is what it is and and how we're able to function in this society, this this United States of American society. Wealth matters. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does. All right. Well, it's that time of the show now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to start winding down now. Thank you for spending time with us, Kosh listeners. Um, thank you for giving us your time, um, your minds, um, taking this in. As you know, we are a work in progress. Um, we're always trying to get better. Um, we're trying to improve. We always welcome you to engage. Ask us questions. Um, ask to be a guest. Uh, however you'd like to engage us. And one way to engage us is we have an email. Our email is askthekosh at gmail.com. Once again, that is askthekosh at gmail.com. This is the holiday season. And I'd like to encourage all of you, if you're a Kosh listener, um, maybe you want to say some well wishes to some people coming up for the new year or for the holiday season or birthdays or whatever it is, reach out to us. We have a voicemail. So please feel free to call in and leave us a voicemail and we will play it here um, as is uh, on the show. And that is uh, the voicemail number is 920-385-9298. Once again, that is 920-385-9298. And Kosh listeners, let me tell you this. Thank you, thank you, thank you for those who have purchased Kosh gear. So the Kosh gear, uh, you know, accidentally, I think I republished uh, it on the social media and I got some good orders in. And guess what? We are almost out. All I got are mediums left. So if you would like a medium shirt, we got one for you. You got a hat or two left. Um, so if there's any interest, please, please, please don't hesitate to reach out to us here and we will be more than happy to get those to to you. Um, and my last ask, and I'm still asking, please, please, please take some time. If you are a Kosh listener, take some time and leave us a review. Um, it really helps. Um, it helps how people can learn about the Kosh and our rankings. So Spotify, Apple Podcast, uh, whatever, however you listen, or if you want to come to the Kosh, uh, the Koshpodcast.com website and leave a review, that also will do it. But reviews help us um, get a, more exposure and to also help us become a better show. We appreciate you. All right. So you already know it's my favorite time of the show now. It is shout out time. So this is the time when we do some quality shout outs. Chuck, Chuck, who you want to shout out? Well, I first want to shout out to uh, my daughters in St. Louis, Natalie and Melanie and and uh, 
hoping that they have a, a great holiday season. And then, of course, my granddaughter, Lucy, and, and uh, also in St. Louis. And, and so I want to make a shout-out to, to uh, my family uh, down there. Um, I also um, want to make a shout-out to not only the Winnebago area, area literacy councils, but all literacy, literacy councils across the country. Again, wherever you live, there's probably one close by, and you should uh, understand their, their work, uh, as we've talked about before. The other uh, group of organizations I want to shout out to are community foundations. Community foundations are very important to uh, the, the, the workings of, of an area, because this is a place where wealthy people can um, uh, put their money and then have the income from that money uh, go towards um, services and organizations in their local area. Uh, I'm on the board of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region, uh, based in Appleton. And, uh, and But again, the, there's community foundations across the country that um, people should uh, look at and, and understand and so as we get to year end here, um, thank you to these nonprofit organizations for making our lives uh, so much better and mainly run by, uh, certainly their staff, but as far as the governing boards, they're almost all volunteers. And, and all the volunteers that uh, make these type of organizations happen, uh, I'd like to give a shout out to them. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, my shout outs, I'd like to send a shout out to all the new graduates that are graduating today. Today is commencement day. So everybody who has gotten an opportunity to complete that, that, that degree, kudos, love, and, um, blessings for your future where you go with that. Cause, uh, that is not an easy journey. So, uh, Solid shout out to all the graduates. Um, I'd like to send a shout out to um, Nami. Um, I just got done doing some some training, a uh, crisis intervention partner training, um, and focused on on mental health, and it was just powerful. I, I, so so powerful. Um, you know, we 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 have an episode. Uh, at this point, I haven't released it yet, but it's coming uh, about an uh, invisible disabilities. Well, this is this falls in line, right? Um, so what I ask Kosh listeners you to do is to show grace and and have patience because sometimes we we don't always know what we're looking at, and um, if we follow those rules of patience and grace. Um, We'll take care of each other just a little bit better. Um, so, and I'd like to send a shout out to New North, um, New North, uh, who's doing work in the region. Uh, I'm, I have an opportunity. I sit on one of the uh, the the their belonging or their community committee, um, and every time I go, there's just wonderful things happening. Uh, it's a great think tank and people moving the region forward um, and with, with just thoughtfulness and on all, all accounts uh, trying to make uh, economics, make it better economically for us all um, as well as just trying to make us societally better also. So 
Uh, big shout out to New North. All right. That is it for my shout outs for the day. So, Chuck, we got one more thing left to do. Oh. Oh, yeah. And what that is, is parting words of wisdom. But you've got choices. There's choices. So what we like to do is you can either share with the listeners some parting words of wisdom or what would your self today tell your 12-year-old self or option C, both, all of the above. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think think, uh, I'll I'll do both. Uh, As far as my 12-year-old self, um, I, I would I would say to him, pay attention. Uh, it's mm. there's always stuff going on that's beyond uh, what's at the surface, or in my case, beyond the numbers. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a numbers guy. There's context surround, surrounding all of these things, and so uh, I I would. I would tell him that uh, pay attention to everything that's going on because uh, that would will uh, lead you to probably better answers for, for your life. Uh, that's the case. As far as um, a bit of wisdom, um, I, I, I would not want to unemphasize the inf- importance of saying I'm sorry. Um, and this is one of these things I've learned in, in, uh, as I'm getting to my older age, is that uh, from my mistakes, I have learned that saying you're sorry when things go wrong is very uh, important. And admitting it, being upfront, being transparent. Not everyone will accept it, but you're taking the first steps to make things right, and probably as importantly, you're making things right for yourself. And so... Um, when when you need to, please apologize to people. Uh, yes, that's powerful. That's true. So, what you think? It, it's it was a cool time. I appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast. Thank you, Chuck. The cash. 